Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning. Lord, you bring us together. You, you by your glorious grace, have adopted us into your family. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for making us sons and daughters and therefore brothers and sisters today. God, and I praise you for this chance now to, to continue to worship through your word with people that I love. Thank you so much, Lord, for the love that you put in the hearts of so many people here for one another. And so, God, we gather together now around your amazing word. I want to see you high and lifted up. We want to walk with you in obedience, God. So help us this morning. Empower us through the truth that's here. You said your word is living and powerful. And we believe that, God. So let it be alive in our midst today. Let it be powerful in our midst today. And God, I praise you that we don't ask these things in vain. But you said whatever we ask in your name, that you would do for your own glory and even for our joy. And so, God, we ask you for help now. Thank you, Lord. Even beforehand, we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me explain where we're at. We're in Genesis 11, verse 10, and we're going to go through to chapter 12, verse 3. Um, there's really three divisions that are found here. So let me explain the three divisions. You can kind of see them as, as uh, headings on your sheet. The three divisions that are found here is we have the, the genealogy of Shem, uh, which is a, a Toledot in and of itself. And if you remember that word Toledot, we've been saying that as we've gone through Genesis. The word Toledot is a, it's, it's, it's the Hebrew word that's there when you see these are the generations or this is the genealogy. And you can pretty much break Genesis up into 10 or so Toledotes coming through it and help you understand the flow of thought there. And so we have in verses 10, chapter 11, verse 10 through 26 is the genealogy of Shem Toledot. And then the second division there is, uh, it starts in verse 27, goes to verse 32, the end of chapter 11. And what that is, is that's the introduction into the Abraham Toledo. That's, that's the introduction into Abraham's story. And really that, that section runs from chapter 11, verse uh, 27, all the way to chapter 25, verse 11. So it's a large section, section about Abraham. It's Abraham's story. But this first section here in chapter 11... Verse 27 to 32 is an introduction into that. We're going to get some details that help you throughout the story of Abraham. And then the third section there is going to be the one that we camp at the most, the most important of it, of it all. This is the command, the foundational command that God gives to Abraham and the promises that God pours out to Abraham. And we see it right there in chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. And this is seriously one of the most important parts of Scripture. Chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1 through 3. So that's where we're headed. Everybody ready? Alright, chapter 11, verse 10 through 26 of the genealogy of Shem. Let me read just a piece of that. We won't read all of it for time's sake. But let me read a piece of that. Let's start in verse 10. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot Aphexed two years after the flood. After he begot Arphaxed, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. 
Arphaxad lived 35 years and begot Selah. After he begot Selah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Selah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Selah lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. So what, what I want you to see, there's a pattern going on. This person begot this person, and this person begot this person. And so you're seeing a genealogy lined out, and it's in a very uh, uniform fashion. You see the pattern there? Begot this one, it was this old, lived this many years, begot sons and daughters. Begot this one, lived this long, begot sons and daughters. And you see it over and over again, it's like a pattern. And the only place that the pattern changes is when you get to verse 26. Now Terah, so we made our way down to Terah, which is Abraham's father. Now Terah lived 70 years, and here's where it changes, and begot Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. So it gives you three sons instead of the one that's been the pattern all the way through. So this is where you get a break, and that's actually the end of that Toledot. It's the end of that section, the genealogy of Shem, okay? So let's ask some questions. Why does God give us this genealogy right here? As we move through this, let's think through that. Why does God give us this genealogy? Is it for entertainment? Obviously not, right? It's not the most entertaining thing to read. It's obviously not for entertainment. This, this is a picture to me that the Bible is a book of facts. It's a book of truth. It's not myths and silly fairy tales. This is a book of truth and facts. And it's laying it out for us right here in this genealogy. Now, there's two, two unique things about this genealogy that I want you to notice. One is it's a repeat genealogy. I've said this several times as we've moved through. Chapter 10, we've already gotten the genealogies of all three of, of Noah's sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. And then here in chapter 11, we get a repeat. It goes back to Sham's genealogy, and we get a repeat of this genealogy. So it's a unique thing. What, why does he, out of all three sons, why does he repeat this son's genealogy? Second unique feature is this. It's laid out in a, in a certain fashion. It's laid out in the same fashion that we saw in Genesis chapter 5. Do you remember that? In Genesis 5, you had this genealogy okay, that, that ran you from, from Seth and all the way up to Noah. And so when you read that genealogy, it has a certain pattern to it. Just like we saw a pattern here. This is the, the seed of the woman pattern. That's what it is. The seed of the one, woman pattern is what this is. Now, so what do these, these two unique features in this genealogy tell us about the genealogy? That this, it tells us that this genealogy is here to trace out for us the seed of the woman. It's to trace out for us the seed of the woman. Now, nobody, especially after this study through Genesis, nobody at Grace Community Church should be unfamiliar at this point with the seed of the woman coming out of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Unless you're just new here. But let me say a few things about it as we're, as we're walking through. I want you to think about this. So God creates the world. That's the first section of Genesis. It's the creation. He lays it all out. God, by the word of His mouth, creates all things. And in the second section, Genesis 2-4, through we see the fall of man. And right in the middle of the fall of man, where man rebels against God. I mean, just a few verses after sin enters the world, we get the gospel. And you see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God promises that there's coming one, through the, seed of, through the seed of Eve, through the seed of the woman, there's coming one through her, and He is going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to crush the head of the one who tempted them. 
And so already the Gospel at Genesis 3.15 in the book of Genesis, we're already looking forward to there's one coming, there's one coming, there's one coming. We're already looking for that, okay? And you should be familiar with that. Now when you get into Genesis 4, you realize that Eve thought that that firstborn son of hers was it. Because of the way she named him, you realize, man, she thought this was the one. This was the one that was promised. The one that was promised to crush Satan's head. And yet he turns out to be a murderer that murders his brother. Come to find out it wasn't coming through them. It was coming through Seth, another son that was born to her. And then we get to Genesis chapter 5 where we get that genealogy. And it's being traced out for us. That there's one coming, there's one coming, there's one coming. That's what these genealogies say to us. There's one coming, the seed of the woman that's going to crush Satan's head. And so this is what happened when we get to this genealogy. We get to this genealogy and we realize in Genesis chapter 11 that there's one coming. And who's he coming through? Out of Noah's three sons, which one's he coming through? He's coming through the line of Shem. So right here, we have the genealogy of Shem. Now, so we're reading this genealogy. And I didn't read all of it, but maybe some of you say, Man, when can we get to the parts of the Bible that are about, that are about Jesus? Right? When can we get to those parts? Well, newsflash, this is about Jesus. This genealogy is about Jesus. And I want to take this opportunity to remind you that the whole Bible is about Jesus. You need to know that. The whole book of, the whole book of Scripture is about Christ. And I don't just mean in a, in a weird symbolic way. Now, there are, there's a lot of symbolism about Christ, no doubt. But I don't mean in an inappropriately uh, symbolic way. I mean in a real historical way. This whole book, this genealogy is about Christ, the one that's going to come and crush Satan's head. And that's an awesome thing. Jesus claimed this. Remember John 5, 39. He's looking at Jews and he says that to them. He says, these are they which testify of me. This book is about Jesus. And, and, and in case you haven't caught this coming through the book of Genesis, this book that's about Jesus is actually about all of history. It starts from the very beginning and it ends with us telling us what's coming at the very end. So we got the very beginning to the very end, which means not only is this book all about Jesus, but all of history and all of the future is all about Christ. And that ought, that ought to rock you. You ought to go, yes. This is what's been going on, that ever since the creation of humankind, ever since the creation, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting till Christ comes. And then the Savior Jesus comes into the world as promised, crushed Satan's head, comes to die for our sins, to save His people, to pull out a remnant for Himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And then He ascends on high, and what are we doing right now? I can't wait till He returns. He's coming back one day. I can't wait till He comes back. And so all of history, from Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning to the very end, is all about Christ. And this whole book is about Christ. You ever got that from a genealogy before? Because I want you to. The, the, the genealogy screamed that to all of us. But here's where we're at. And the history that we're at, the piece of history we're reading about, is verse 26. Let me read it again. Now Terah lived 70 years... And begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Okay, so this is the place where we're at right here. Um, the question that you should ask, if you're, and I know you already know the answer, but, if, but the question as you're reading through, if it's the first time you've ever read through Genesis, 
If you're picking up what's being laid down here, the question you're asking when you get to Terah has three sons is you're wondering who's the, who's the promised one coming through? Which one's he coming through? And of course, you know it's going to be Abram. That's why the whole next Toledo, the whole next section is about Abram. Okay, so let's keep rolling. Let's go to the introduction here. The introduction to the Abraham Toledo, verse 27 through 32. We're actually going to read this section. Starting in verse 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. So you have a new Toledo started right there. Like I said, it ends in chapter 25, verse 11. This is a long one. And this is the introduction. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram. Excuse me. Nahor and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the, Ch- of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarah was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Ur of the Chaldeans, excuse me, Ur of the Chaldeans, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. All right, so that's your introduction. Okay, so what's happen- happening here is you're given details. You're given these little details. Little, you, you wonder why are these details being given in this introduction? These details are to prepare you for what's to come in Abraham's story. These details are meant to get you ready for some of the stuff that you're going to see as we move through Abraham's story. So let me highlight a few of the intentional details that are given in that introduction. Now some of these I'll say, here's why they're there. And some of these, when we get into chapter 12 in just a moment, I'm going to reach back for them, okay? So but let's just mention and highlight some of the details. The first two details are found in verse 27 and 28. And right there, this is where we see Lot is born to Haran. It's a random, it seems random. What's up with this detail? We've got all three sons. Why did it tell us one of the sons' name was Lot that came from Haran? So we know about Lot. And then we realize why we're given that detail. Because Haran dies. And it seems like Lot's father, Haran, dies prematurely. And so, and, and so Haran dies. Lot is born. And this is going to help us as we move uh, into the future in Abraham's story. And we're going to see why is Abraham, uh, the uncle of Lot, why is he so hooked in to Lot? And this is going to tell us why. This is just a little detail. Third detail. That's the first two details. Third detail is this. It's found at the end of verse 28. It says that they are from Ur of the Chaldeans. Everybody say Ur. Ur. Wasn't that fun? <laughs> I just made all Grace Community Church growl at me. That was awesome. Ur of the Chaldeans. <laughs> now, this place, I want you to think about just a little detail. This place is pagan to the core. Uh, these people are, are they forsaken the Creator God. They've gone after a bunch of false gods. That's what this place is like. They're moon worshippers in a, in a big city where there's a massive uh, ziggurat, kind of like you, you heard about in the Tower of Babel, where they worship the moon god. This is a wicked place. Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, there was a... One of the reasons we know that is there's a British archaeologist. His name was Leonard Woolley. 
And he un uncovered this city in excavations from about 19, I think 22 to 1934. It was this big publicized thing everybody knew about. But he's, he's this archaeologist. He's uncovering the city of Ur. And what they find out when they do that is this city was dominated by, by abominations to God. Dominated by pagan rituals such as human sacrifice that are an abomination to God. Now, so we know that this place that, that Abraham is going to be called out of is a place of wicked moon worshippers. This is what's going on here. Now, now in case archaeology is not a strong enough uh, evidence for you, let me give you something more sure. The Bible. Joshua chapter 24 verse 2 says this. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Listen to what God says. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. And they served other gods. They served other gods. These are false god worshiping people. And I do believe this should be an encouragement to you. Uh, that God is willing and able to save and to yank out from destruction moon worshiping people like Abraham. God does that. There's nobody that's out. This tells me there's nobody outside of the reach of God's mercy. There's nobody safe from the power of God's salvation. Nobody. This is somebody being saved from a moon worshiping, idolatrous environment. Fourth detail here. It's found in verse 29. We see. Who they marry. We see Abram marries Sarai. Nahor uh, marries Milcah. This is going to obviously, Ab Abram and Sarai, that's going to tell us more because that's who the whole section's about. Nahor and Milcah, those are the ones, we're going to hear more about them in the future as well. Whenever Abraham and also Isaac send their sons back to their homeland to get a wife, remember that? These are the people that they go back to. Fifth detail is found in verse 30. Sarai, Abram's wife, is barren, is what it tells us. She's barren. She can't have any children. And I wonder why this is given to us. I wonder why this detail that she's barren, she can't have children. Why is that detail given to us? And I'll reach back for that one in a little bit. Last detail that I want to highlight is verse 31 and 32. We see that Terah, Abram, Sarai, Lot, we see all of them are going to lead their home. Ur of the Chaldeans are going to leave it and they're going to go to the land of Canaan. They get held up in Haran for a little while. And when they get held up in Haran, uh, the father Terah is going to die. And then we're going to see in chapter 12, after the father Terah dies, Abram, Abram's going to head in to the land of Canaan. So the question there, why? Why did they leave? What we see, this, this parts of this family begin to leave their home. That's a big deal in this time. And so they leave Ur of the Chaldeans. Why is that? And I think if you... If you dig in, let me give you a verse you can reference later. Genesis chapter 12, uh, as we move into Genesis 12, and also, also Acts chapter 7, verse 2 through 4. Acts chapter 7, verse 2 through 4. If you check out those verses, what you see is that the reason why they came out is because God called Abram out of there. Not Terah necessarily. He called Abram to leave that place. God called them out to leave that place. Now, why did they land in Haran first before they went to the land of Canaan? We don't know. It may be that initially God didn't tell them exactly where they're going. That's what Hebrews 11 says. He went out not knowing where he was going, right? And so they land in Haran for a time. And apparently when the father dies, God says, now's the time. And Abram moves in to the land of Canaan. If you put those verses together, I believe you can see that. All right, so we got those details in place. Everybody got the details in place, right? You with me? Details are in place, and now we're going to move in 
to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, okay? Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3. Now, this is foundation. I'm going to read this. This is seriously very, very important foundational command and promises for God from God to Abram right here. Listen to it. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These are very important verses. I'm not advertising. I was thirsty. <laughs> very important verses. Okay, so let's start with the command. The command's in verse 1. So let's read it again. Verse 1. He says, get out of your country. Think about it with me. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So God commands him. He says, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to leave your father's house for a place that I'm going to show you. He says, I want you to leave the place that you know. I want you to leave the people that you know. I want you to leave the stuff that you have. And I'm going to take you somewhere you don't know. Where you don't know anybody. The place you're unfamiliar with. I'm going to take you there. He says, I want you to leave everything that's comfortable for you. Everything that's familiar for you. And you go where I tell you to go. I want you to leave the culture that you're used to. The people that you love. And all your future security. Which is what he would have found in his father's house, right? He said, I want you to leave all your future security. And all the people you love and know. And all your culture. And I want you to go to a place where you are utterly unfamiliar. And where only God can be your future security. That's what I want you to do. Did you know that God has the authority to command people like me and you to do this? Did you know that? He has the authority. Our God has the authority to command stuff like this. And so I want you to think about it. What makes you think God? Maybe I'm turning the, t the, turning the application uh, uh, corner a little too fast. But what makes, you think, what makes you think that God is not calling you out in the same way? That He calls you to relinquish your comforts, your security, and do the only thing that makes sense in light of reading the Scripture. Joshua 1.16 All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. What makes you think God wouldn't call you if He has this authority to do the same thing? And I'm serious about this. If you read Hebrews chapter 6, we're not going to read it, but he read Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. We are commanded to imitate the faith of Abraham. We're commanded to imitate Abraham and his faith in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. And what that tells me is God does not intend for us to live a life that's just comfortable in the flesh. It's not what He wants. He's uninterested in your fleshly comfort. But what he is interested in is you stepping out like Abraham in such a way in obedience to him and trusting him in such a way that your flesh might be uncomfortable. But because you know God and you trust him, you have comfort in the spirit. And so he tells him 
come out. I want you to see something. Turn, hold your place and turn to Hebrews 11. I want you to see God honor God honor this, this command to Abraham and Abraham's obedience to it. Listen. He honors Abraham's faith and his obedience. Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. It's talking about Genesis 12. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't need an itinerary from God. He hears from God. This is what God wants me to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out and go do. Regardless of future security, I'm going to step out and do what God has told me to do. I don't need God to give me a full-fledged itinerary. Verse 9, By faith, He dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with Him of the same promise. So here He is by faith, dwelling in this land. God said, that's going to be your land. I'm going to multiply you, make you a nation. We'll see that in a minute. And God has told him that here He is dwelling in that land, trusting in God that He's going to do what He said He's going to do. And so He obeys Him. Verse 10, why was He able to do such a thing? For He waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And I say, what a reminder to us. That this is not our home. Everybody with me on that? This is not our home here. This is not home for... If you're here and you're in Christ, if you're not in Christ, this is your home. It's the best you got. But if you're here and you're in Christ, this is not your home. There's coming a time there's going to be a city whose builder and maker is God and you get to be with Him for all of eternity. And how much should that empower you right now to make decisions and do things and step out in, in response to God's Word? Regardless of how uncomfortable it makes you here. Why, why does it empower you? Because this is not your home. You're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God like Abraham. Imitate Abraham. Imitate his faith. Back to Genesis chapter 12. So I wonder if anybody needs to hear that. This this whole obedience to God, regardless of how uncomfortable in the flesh it might make you. Trusting in God. If you need to hear that, here's something that God does. After He gives him this command, now He's going to pour on promises. Promises that He's going to give Abraham. The first thing I want you to do is I just want you to be wowed by the onslaught of promises that God hands out here. Seven promises come from the mouth of God. Seven promises from the mouth of God after He gives him this command. Let's read them. Verse 2. First promise. I will make you a great nation. Number 2. I will bless you. Number 3. And make your name great. Number four, and you shall be a blessing. Number five, I will bless those who bless you. Number six, I will curse him who who curses you. And number seven, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Seven promises poured out. Alright? So let's walk through these promises one, one by one. First promise, he says this. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. 
I'm going to make you a great nation. You try to think about, try to imagine yourself receiving that sort of promise. John Chavez, I'm going to make you a great nation. Could you imagine thinking about that? A whole nation that roots themselves back into Abraham or back and imagine that. A whole nation, a great nation is going to be raised up out of you, Abraham or Abram at this point. And then God did it, right? Israel is that nation. Could you imagine the first people to actually receive the Torah and actually begin to read it? They're reading this promise in Genesis chapter 12 and they read, and God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. That's us. God did it. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled it in us. We are that nation. And they would have been the first ones to read this thing. God actually fulfilled the promise. Now, now here's what I want to do. I want to reach back into those facts from the introduction. I want to grab one of those facts from the introduction. Okay, think about this. Who did God make this promise to? Who did God just look at and say, Hey, I'm going to give you children who are going to have children, who are going to have children, and you're going to become a great nation. Who did God just say that to? He just said it to the, to the, to the man who had a barren wife. And you say, why? God, you got your options here. Why not raise up a great nation through the one that can actually have kids? Why are you picking the one? Why are you picking the one that has a barren wife? Why are you doing this? She can't have children. And this is the one you come to with the promise? Isn't that like God? Isn't it just like God to do something like that? He, he, he could have chose either one of those brothers. And yet He chooses the one that has the weakness of I can't have children. Just so when it happens, He gets all the glory and all the praise. Isn't it just like God to do this? And this is why we get that detail in the beginning that she was barren. One, one writer said it like this. He said that with this promise, God assaulted reality. He assaulted reality. He said, reality is that it can't happen. She can't have one child, much less nation. And God said, I'm going to raise up a great nation out of you. You're the one I'm doing that through. I think that's an awesome thing. And I think Paul picked up some of this in the New Testament. He picked up some of this idea of this is just the way that God works. That God looks on weakness and He doesn't look at it like we do. That God looks at on weakness and He sees a way to pour out His strength. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He said to me, this is Jesus said to Paul. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is when Paul was asking him to remove a weakness. Please remove a weakness. Please remove a weakness. Please remove a weakness. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, in, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace Community Church, we got any weaknesses across the room? Any weaknesses here? Great, you are prime real estate for God to pour out His strength on you. To display His glorious strength through you. You are a prime prospect for that. If you have weakness today, and I'd even say this, even just, just being reminded of this and coming through this passage, my, my, my brothers and sisters that have struggled through this whole, this sadness and this sorrow of being barren and not being able to have children, listen to Jesus' words to you. Just let them hit you. The, the glorious, beautiful words of Jesus. Listen, my grace is sufficient for you. 
My strength is made perfect in weakness. Let it sit on you. So God promises to Abraham, the one who has a barren wife, I'm going to raise up for you a great nation. I'm going to raise up a great nation out of you. Why? Why is God going to do that? Well, let's, let's keep reading. Okay, let's, let's answer the question why. Let's keep reading. Second promise says this. I will bless you. I will bless you. Now, this is probably referring to the blessing of uh, provision, uh, procreation, provision of I'm going to multiply you and I'm going to provide for your needs. I'm going to take care of you. This is I'm going to. I'm going to bless you. The idea here is that God's hand is going to be on Abram. God's hand is going to be on this nation. I'm going to bless you. But again, let's ask the question, why? Why, God? Why are you going to raise up a great nation out of Abram? Why are you going to bless and provide for them? Why? Let's keep reading. Third promise. I will make your name great. I will make your name great. This is the idea that the fame... And the influence of Abram and the fame and the influence of that nation that's going to come from Abram, Israel, that the fame and the influence of those people is going to spread. And it's going to be a, a wide, a great influence. He's going to make a great name for them. Now, I can't help but laugh a little bit when I think about that. Because just a chapter earlier in chapter 11, what did you see? A group of people that rise up against God. And what are they trying to make for themselves? I want to make a great name for myself. So they're trying to make a great name for themselves. And then you get in this chapter and here's Abraham doing absolutely nothing, worshiping moon God somewhere. And God says, I'm going to make a great nation for you. And I think this is a sweet picture. And it, and it charges us that we should remember the words of Jesus when He says, those who exalt themselves, I will humble. And those who humble themselves, I will exalt. But again, you're sitting here, you're reading this, right? I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. But why? Why, God? Why are you going to do this for Abram? Why are you going to do this for this nation? Let's go to the next promise. Keep reading. You shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. Okay, now, now we're getting a little bit closer to the reason. We're not there yet. But we're getting a little bit closer to the reason that God is going to pour out all these promises, all these blessings on Abram when He says, you shall be a blessing. God does not plan to bless Abram and then it terminate on Abram. He plans to bless Abram in such a way that he becomes a blessing to others. Now imagine how Abram heard that promise. You imagine he's hearing these promises and here's Abram and he hears, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And he's thinking, why? Why? It's awesome, but why? Why are you doing that? And then you get to this point, he says, and you shall be a blessing. And he goes, oh, it's not all about me. It's actually not all about me. God just said, and you shall be a blessing. It's actually not all about me, but God's going to, yes, he's going to bless me, but something else is going to happen afterwards because it's not all about me. Now, I would say that this is the same principle for us all, right? This is a principle that runs... All the way through the Word. And I want you to think about this because if you think about God's blessings, if you fall to the, the uh, uh, Western American or what, not even just that, but just this trap, this trap of I'm the center of the universe. And if you feel like you are the center of the universe, when God blesses you with anything, because you know God does that, right? He even blesses wicked people. He calls His Son to rise on the evil and the good. 
And so when God does that, you'll think it's all about me because I'm the center of the universe. But if you open your eyes and you see rightly that actually God is the center of the universe, when these blessings come from God, you think this is about His glory and His glory being spread through all the earth. It's not about you. This principle of, and you shall be a blessing, runs throughout the Word of God. Now, imagine the nation of Israel. Fast forward. Imagine the nation of Israel reading this. God, they, they say it. Maybe the nation of Israel says, if they see it right, God has blessed us indeed. He's blessed us. But it's not all about us. And you shall be a blessing. You see here that Abram will not be blessed at other people's expense, but instead, he will be blessed for the good of others. Okay, his, the blessing of the nation of Israel is not to the exclusion of others, but it's a blessing for the inclusion of others. That's what we're going to see. Okay. Now this promise here is very general. And you shall be a blessing. It's very general. And we're going to get more specifics of that promise when we get to that last and ultimate promise in verse 7. Excuse me, in verse 3. The last promise. We're going to get there. And that's where we're going to see the actual going from general to more specific about what that promise means. But until then, let's, let's keep reading. Let's take the fifth and sixth promises together. Listen to them. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. That's the fifth and sixth promise. I'll bless him who blesses you. And I'll curse him who curses you. Now, these are promises of protection over Abram. And these are promises of protection over the nation of Israel. Do you see that? Thinking about being Abram, being the nation of Israel. That when somebody blesses us, God blesses them. When somebody curses us, God curses them. This is an idea of protection. God is going to protect this man. God is going to protect this whole, this whole nation. Now, I want to ask the question, why? Okay. In fact, I want to give you a little, right here, okay? A little bit of sneak peek into that last ultimate promise. Before we get to the seventh promise... A little bit of sneak peek here is what you're going to get, okay? The protection that will be on Abram, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you, and the protection that will be on the nation of Israel is, is, is for what? It's for what purpose? What's the reason? Well, according to that last promise, it's because the seed of the promised one is coming through them. So this is the picture that I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you. Why? Because through you is coming the Christ. Through you is coming the one that's going to crush Satan's head. And so here's something that that does for you. Think about the rest of God's Word as you read through Genesis. And you get to Genesis chapter 20. You remember that story with Abimelech? Where God protected Abram from Abimelech. Abram and Sarah show up. And Abimelech sees his wife is beautiful and he takes his wife. Remember that? And Abram doesn't have to do anything. And God begins to curse him. God begins to come down and even give the man a dream that scares him out of his wits. And then what happens? That man comes to Abram and says, Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me that was your wife? See, you get this picture here of God protecting Abram and Sarah. Why? Why? Because through them's coming the Christ. He's going to hold that and preserve them, preserving the seed. And what that tells you that in a sense, even that story of Abimelech and, and Abram, that story in a sense is about Christ. That protection is about Jesus. So what about this story? Remember the story in Numbers 22. Now you got the nation of Israel. They're down in a valley. And it's like they're, they're, you know, you're getting the story about the nation of, of Israel through Numbers. 
And then in chapter 22, it's like it zooms out. And it takes you up on the mountains and you're looking down on the nation of Israel and you're getting the perspective of Balak and Balaam. Remember that? And in this perspective, Balak, king of Moab, he wants to destroy these people. And in fact, one of the ways he's going to do it is he's going to go call for Balaam, the, the prophet, and he's going to call him in to curse these people. Come curse these people for me so that they die. And you remember what happened? Every time he opened his mouth to try to curse these people, blessings came out on the people of God. This wicked man named Balaam, who's called wicked through the rest of the Bible, and yet blessings come out of his mouth toward the people of Israel. Why? God said, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. God is going to protect these people. So in a sense, even Numbers 22, and that specific story is about Jesus the Christ who is coming. God is going to protect that preserved seed. See that? Now, so we've already kind of got a sneak peek into the seventh promise, but I still want to ask the question, why? Why is God doing all these things? Why is He going to raise up a great nation from Abram? Why is He going to bless them? Why is He going to make His name great? Why is He going to bless those who bless Him and curse them? Why is God doing all of this stuff? And the last promise is going to give us the answer to that. In fact, the last promise is the ultimate promise. It's the promise that all the rest were building up to. The seventh promise. Let's read it. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I want you to think about that for a minute. How huge is that? In you, Abram, can't even have a child. In you, lift up your eyes and look at all the families of the earth. Look at all the nations of the earth. Look at them. And through you, they're all going to be blessed. Every single one of the families of the earth, every single one of the nations on earth are going to be blessed through you, Abram. How big of a deal is that? I want you to think about the grace of God here. What grace from God? And if you back up one chapter... The Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. You remember what happened? All the people of the earth. I mean a global worldwide rebellion against God. They rebel against God. And God could have poured out destruction and hell forever. And yet, instead of doing that, what does He do? He, said, he, he confuses their language and He creates nations. He spreads them out, confuses their language, and they become nation, tribe, and tongue. So this is what God does. And then one chapter later, God looks at those people that the reason they're like that is because they rebelled against God. And then what does He say in chapter 12? I desire to bless them all. I want to bless them all. The grace of God. Look at the grace of God when you see this. Now this, this promise here is of massive importance. It's repeated over and over and over again in the book of Genesis. We'll look at a few of those in just a minute. And also, if you get into the book of Acts... Literally one of the first few sermons ever preached. He, pre he preaches and he tags this verse on to the end as a way to call them to Christ. He tags his promise in the second sermon in the book of Acts. And also if you read Galatians, Paul uses this promise and he actually calls it the gospel. And I hope you know how important the gospel is. And he calls it the gospel in Galatians 3.8. So let's start by looking at the the repetitions in Genesis, okay? Here's the repetition. So, so chapter 12, verse, verse 3. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Think about that promise. There's going to be a, there's going to be a remnant 
from every people group on earth that are going to be blessed, whatever that means, but it's going to happen. Every people group on earth. Then you get to chapter 22, verse 18. And look at the repetition. This is more towards the end of Abram's life. He's Abraham now. Verse 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. See it repeated? In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Chapter 26, verse 4. This is the promise. That, I mean, literally, this promise. If you get this promise through Genesis, then you're going to understand the whole book. 26, verse 4. I, this is now to Abram, Abraham's son. And to Abraham's son, Isaac, he says, And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. See it again? One more time. Chapter 28, verse 14. Let's just read one more. Now to the next son, Jacob, the next son in line, because it's tracing out the seed. Verse 14. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you see this promise, the promise of the seed coming through Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob and on through their lineage until the seed of the woman finally comes. The seed of the woman finally arrives. Now, before I want to dig a little bit deeper into the meaning of this promise. In you, Abram, all the nations on the earth are going to be blessed. I want to dig a little deeper. But before we do, let me answer a question that might arise in your mind, okay? If you read chapter 12, verse 3... In chapter 28, verse 14, it said, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And if you read the two in the middle, it said, In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So the question is, which is it? Which is it that God's going to do? Is He going to bless all families? Is He going to bless all nations? What's it talking about here? And here's my short answer. My short answer is this, because we don't have time to dig into the, the biblical evidence of all that. But here's my short answer. When we think about God's heart, for all the families of the earth, or God's heart for all nations. When we think about our commission that links into that, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, we're not supposed to think about geopolitical nations like we see on a map, okay? We're not supposed to think about it like that. That might be what you thought of when you heard nations there, but that's not what we should think of. And we also shouldn't just think of small unit families like me and Lydia and my children. And God's going to, all the families, bless all of them like that. We shouldn't think like that either. And that might be what you thought of when you saw all the families of the earth. What we need to be thinking about here is people groups. Okay? People groups. This is where this term comes from. Is people use the term a lot now. People groups. And I like the term. Here's a definition. This is what we should be looking for when we think about the heart of God for all nations. Listen. Listen to this. This is from the Joshua Project. Here's a, this is what a people group is. A significantly large grouping of individuals who perceive themselves to have a common affinity with one another. For evangelization purposes, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread without, without, without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. Okay, so this is more restrictive than geopolitical nations, right? Like, in other words, it's not just... It's not just India, there's many people groups in India. And God says from every people group, I'm going to bless them. Okay? And it's, it's larger than just 
The small unit family. That's not what it's talking about there. Now, now here's the thing. For the biblical defense of that, the biblical evidence of that, I'm just going to refer you to something because we really don't have time to go there today. But I would refer you to this. The fifth chapter of Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. The fifth chapter of Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. For time's sake, we can't go there today. But seriously, read it. Read it. I think you will enjoy that and you'll see what I mean by what's supposed to be in your mind when you think, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What should be in your mind? And I'm saying there's this people group thinking this here, okay? So, but until you read it, know this. Know this. God just promised Abram that through his seed or through his offspring, a remnant is going to be raised up from every nation, tribe, and tongue on the earth, from every people group. A remnant is going to be raised up and blessed from every single one of them. So what exactly does this promise mean? In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. What does it mean? I want you to think like this first. When Abraham got it, what would he have thought it meant? How would Abraham, Abram, how would he have perceived this promise? Now, it doesn't change, right? It's the, the way we understand it now is the same as he understood it, except we have a little bit fuller of knowledge since there's been some fulfillment of it. But what I'm getting at is when Abram heard this, when he heard, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, what was on his mind? What's on his mind is this blessing from God is not about him, but he knew that through him there was going to come one, a seed of the woman, that's going to bless all nations. He knew that this was linked back into Genesis 3.15. The same one that's going to crush Satan's head, now we know a little bit more about him. He's coming through my lineage and my family, and, th and through him, all nations... The one that's going to crush the hate of Satan is going to bless all nations. So he knew that this would have been talking about the coming Christ. And this is the reason why Jesus could say this about Abraham. When Jesus walked the earth, John 8, 56, Jesus said this about Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and he was glad. Now, now that we have further, fuller knowledge as, as this promise has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ, and we look back on it now, what do we understand this promise to mean? Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. What do we understand this promise to mean? Galatians chapter 3, we're going to read verse 8. Here comes Paul. He's going to give us perspective from the other side of the cross. Verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's nations by the way, it's a word for nations, same word and make disciples of all the nations. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So here's a few things to highlight there. Paul just called this phrase that Abraham received, this promise that Abraham received, Abraham, in you all the nations shall be blessed. He just said, That's the gospel. The gospel was preached to him saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. This is a gospel verse. We say, in what sense? How is this a gospel verse? 
Because since the fall of man, every man deserves nothing but hell. Every woman, nothing but hell before this God. That's all we deserve. And we proved it. And that as man multiplied on the earth, we became wicked and destroyed in the flood. And surely that would fix the heart problem of sin, right? Wrong? It doesn't. Man becomes more and more wicked. The Tower of Babel comes. Proves it again. And over and over again, we see the wicked heart of man. Our hearts are wicked before this God and we have rebelled. But there's one coming. This is the Gospel, the good news. There's one coming that's going to bless all the nations. How could this be true? How could He bless the ones that deserve cursing? So this is good news. This is gospel. It's gospel. And then it says, I want you to see this. That verse just said that the, the Scripture foresaw something and it said something. It foresaw something. That means it's looking at something in the future and then it said something about that thing it sees in the future. Well, what did it foresee? It foresaw... That the, if you look at the verse, the Gentiles will be justified by faith. It foresaw that, okay, the Scripture foresaw that the nations are going to be justified by faith. And so what did the Scripture say to describe that? All the nations are going to be blessed. In you, all the nations are going to be blessed. So this is a definition of each other. So here's what we see. In that Scripture, you got... In you, all the nations. That's the Gentiles and nations in Galatians 3.8. And they're going to be blessed means what? They're going to be justified, justified by faith. What this is telling us in Galatians 3.8 is that yes, it's true. The fulfillment of the one that was, that was going to come through Abraham, it was fulfilled in Christ. He came and He died for the sins of the world. And now every nation, tribe, and tongue, anybody that puts their faith in Christ, the God of Abraham, the one that came through the seed of Abraham, anyone that puts their faith in Him will be justified. Be declared righteous by this God. The ones that deserve nothing but curses from this God. And condemnation from God. God's going to look on them and their condemnation falls on Jesus instead of on them. And now they get Jesus' righteousness wrapped onto themselves. And He says they're going to be blessed. That's blessed. Justified by faith is blessed. Let me show you another place. Acts chapter 3. Oh, I love this. Acts chapter 3. Peter's, Peter's going to refer to it now. Same verse. Same verse. He's been preaching to these people, preaching the gospel. Christ crucified, Christ risen, eyewitnesses that saw Him. And here's how he caps it off in verse 25. You are sons of the prophets. And of the covenant which God made with our fathers. What covenant? Saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He just quoted Genesis 12.3. And then he explains it. To you first, God having raised up His servant Jesus. See, that's the one that's coming. That's the seed, His servant Jesus. He sent Him to bless you. This is the blessing. He sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. He sent Him to bless you in turning every one of you away from your sins. So you see this? 
So who is the seed that's to come in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3? Who is the seed? It's Christ Jesus who came. This is the one who was promised. And how will He bless all nations? He will turn them from their sins. See, sin is the problem. All nations deserve hell from God, deserve God's punishment. But God's going to deal with the sin at the cross and die for the sins of His elect, die for the sins of His people. And then He's going to look at them, those who put their faith in Him, and He's going to say, justified, declared righteous. So this promise in Genesis 12.3, it tells us the reason for Abraham. Why is, why is so much of Genesis about Abraham? Because the Christ is coming through him. It tells us about the reason for the nation of Israel. Why does it follow the nation of Israel? It's never really been all about them. It's always been about the Christ is coming through them and all nations that He's going to save through Him. Always, always from Genesis chapter 12 and even before. Now, let's take a little bit of time to do some takeaway here, okay? Everybody understand the passage? I don't think anybody say no. No, I don't get it. <clears throat> but I do want to get kind of personal here, okay? I want to get personal about some things. In the way we what we take away from this passage, okay? I want to get personal about our salvation. Our salvation, yours and mine. And I want to get personal about our hearts at Grace Community Church for this all nations thing that God's laying out before us. Our heart at Grace Community Church for this all nations thing. So let's start off with our salvation. I just want to spend some time reflecting on the salvation that God has given us. Personally. Not me reflecting on I want you to reflect on it with me. The salvation that you've been given. Now, now if you're here and you're saved, this means this is a, this is a worshipful reflection. You're reflecting on, the, on this salvation in worship to God for what He's done for you and what He's purchased for you. If you're here and you're not saved, I, I hope this presses you into, I need to think about my eternity. I can't go without thinking about this. I need to think about my eternity. This will be a chance for you if you're not in Christ, if you're not saved, this will be a chance for you to harden your heart and store up for yourself, treasure up for yourself, wrath in the day of wrath, or it will be a chance for you to turn to Christ, soften your heart and turn to Him. But for you who are saved, it's a chance to just reflect for a minute about your own personal salvation. What you think about this, the first name that the Bible puts on your salvation is Blessed. It's Genesis 12.3. Justif justification by faith. First thing he calls it in Genesis 12.3 is blessed. In you all the nation of earth shall be blessed. First word he puts on the salvation that you have if you're here and you're in Christ. And I want you to love that word. That word blessed and you think about it and apply that to yourself. I want you to love that word. That in this sense God has, God has blessed me. Okay. Now everybody here was supposed to be cursed, right? Galatians 3.10 Apply this to yourself. Galatians 3.10 Cursed are those who do not obey all the words of this law. Cursed are you if you haven't obeyed all the words of this law. And so God takes those ones. Us who were supposed to be cursed before God and He says blessed. I want to bless them. I want to curse. I want to bless them. I want to take those who deserve the eternal curse of God and I want to give them eternal blessing. Think about that for yourself. You earned, here's what you earned from God. 
You earned eternal condemnation. Me too. Reflect on it. You earned eternal cursing and Jesus comes to bless you. Now more details... That's the first word put on your salvation, but more details are wrapped in it. We just talked about uh, Galatians 3.8. You that were supposed to take eternal cursing, we were supposed to have that. Worship Christ for just a moment. He looks at you and says, justified. Righteous. So now we're not just talking all nations. I'm talking about you, me. If you're here and you're saved, He's done that. And then He talks about it even more so. Listen to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, listen to this, about the blessing, as he, as he expounds on that blessing at which your salvation is called. Listen, verse 6, David also describes the blessedness, the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Listen to it. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins, you got sins here, whose sins are covered Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And I was sitting here thinking, I want to worship God. And I'm worshiping God about my own salvation. And it's made me think about a lot of your salvations. I love getting to do this. Getting to share God's Word with people that I know y'all, most of you. And I love you guys. And so I, so I can think about your salvation and what God's done in your life. And I want you to think about it too. And never lose sight that Christ Jesus has saved you. He saved you in your sin. It says, forgiven. It says, He remembers it no more. He casts it as far as the east is from the west and covers you in robes of righteousness. And it all started even further back than Genesis 12. Through in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He's blessed you, although you deserve, and I deserve, eternal curse. Now, let me give you another one. Ephesians chapter 1. It expounds on this blessing. Listen. To all of us who have earned nothing but the eternal curses of God, He says this in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It's been given to you if you're in Christ. So what do you mean? Help me understand more about this blessing. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him. What? In love, He predestined us to be adopted as sons. The blessings of God poured out. Just think about your salvation. It's happened to you. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins. And you could go on and on and on. In Him after you trusted, after hearing the word of truth, the gospel just at your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise as He comes to indwell you. And He seals you by His own self, by His Spirit. This is a glorious thing. Christ Jesus has saved us. So I encourage you to take that away. First word wrapped on your salvation is blessed. A people that deserve to be nothing but eternally cursed. He reaches forward and blesses us. And it's happened to so many of us here. Second thing is a takeaway, personal stuff. Our, our heart, Grace Community Church, towards this whole all nations idea. Okay, Now I desire that as a church, and I'm talking to every member of Grace Community Church right now, 
I desire that every single member of this church be burdened and passionate about the spreading of the glory of God in all nations of this earth. I desire that every single one of us be passionate about that. Okay, And what I mean by that is that this me, this is, it's not just a missionary thing. You get what I'm saying? In your culture, you're taught that if somebody is burdened for the nations and for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to get to places where it is not right now, then if that burns on you, it must mean you're supposed to go. And I say maybe so. Maybe you are supposed to be a missionary. But what I'm trying to put before you is I, I want our whole church to be burdened. I think it's a biblical thing that our whole church will be burdened and passionate. Whether you go or whether you stay in sin, that we're passionate about this all nations idea of God. It's in His heart from the very beginning. From Genesis to Revelation, we see it's God's heart. For all nations. So, so think about it. Is that your heart? Is there something in you? An all nations heart. A global Christian. I want to see souls saved. I want to see God glorified every nation, tribe, and tongue on this earth. Is that in you? Now a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago I mentioned to everyone here how I used to think that, that like the Great Commission after Jesus rose from the dead and the Great Commission... I used to think of that as like an audible in football, right? Or, or like, here's plan B. Didn't work out with the Israelites. Let's go all nations. Okay? I told you, I used to think that way. And then God started rooting me back, rooting me back into the Word. And I started realizing, oh my, this has always been on the heart of God. It's never just been about Abram. It's never just been about the nation of Israel. It's always been in you. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. It's always been in the heart of God. <clears throat> And a lot of you came to me after that and you said to me, you said, me too. Until today. I thought it was just an audible. I thought it was about Israel. Israel didn't obey and then it became this all nations thing. And so, and so there's been some light that's been shed in the body of Christ about God's heart for the nation. So my next question to you on top of that is so then if that's true, what do we do with this? How should this affect us if we understand this sort of thing? How should... Understanding the, the all nations heart of God affect Grace Community Church. And here's one thing it should do. It should challenge each one of us to examine our hearts toward it. Like I said, not just if you're a missionary, everyone burning that our God would be exalted in our people group and in every people group on planet earth. Burning with a passion for it. Like our God. A second thing, a way it should affect us is like this. It should make us a church full of goers and senders. No in-between. Just goers and senders. That's all we have. We got those who go and we have those who stay in sin. We got those who go to the unreached people groups. You know, all people groups glorify Jesus. And there's some that have no gospel so that they can glorify Jesus. And so we got, we got those who go and we got those who stay. But it doesn't mean they're, they're uninterested. It means they're sending those who go. We've got a church full of goers and senders. So what's God called you to? I hope God makes you think about it even right now that as you're impressed, that God's Word is impressed upon you that from the very beginning, in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That could it be that God says, step out, leave your country, leave your people, leave everything that you're comfortable with and go to a land that I'll show you. Could it be that God will call people out today from this church 
to do that. And if not, do you see that you're called to be like Acts 13, the church at Antioch. That's what we're called to, the church at Antioch, right? You got those men called by God to go. They go and you got those others that lay their hands on them and send them out for the glory of God. And they pray for them, they support them, and they help them, they get in behind them. And this is the kind of church we want to be. So this, this idea of all nations, even beginning in Genesis 12, 3, it affects the aim of our church. It should affect the aim of our church. Now this, is, this should do something else too. Individual. Individuals here. This should cause you to reflect on how God has blessed you and why. Have you been deceived that you got all these blessings that's been poured out of you? Just all abundant of blessings. Have you been deceived that it's just supposed to terminate on you? Thank you, Lord, you blessed me. And it just terminates right there on you. Is that, is that what you think? Or are you convinced that He blessed you so that you would be a blessing? He ble- he's given you. So how has God blessed you? Your salvation. God has poured out an abundance of blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why? Just for you? Know that all nations on earth might be blessed. For the glory of Christ in all nations. What about the knowledge you have? Most of you in here have so much more knowledge than so many people in this world about the things of God and His Word. What do you do with that? You've been blessed with a Bible. In your home, in your lap, in your lap right now, you have a Bible. What do you do with this blessing? God has blessed you. Is it meant just to terminate on you? Or is it supposed to, is it supposed to move out for the glory of God among all nations? What about your money? Does God just bless you and give you resources and money for you? Or is this so that you can leverage that for God's glory and God's namesake among all the nations? And you could go on and on. What about your freedom? What about your freedom to travel? It's never even hit your mind that maybe you couldn't get in a plane and go somewhere. Never even hit your mind. There's a place on earth where it does hit their mind. I don't know how I could do that. What about the freedom to do that? What about your health and etc. and on and on and on and on? God has blessed you and why? Why has God blessed you? If you're here and you're in Christ, why has He blessed you? That you might be a blessing. And what do, what do you need to do with that? This, this is the call of Psalm 67. In Psalm 67, He says, so Bless us, O God. Bless us, O God, that Your name might be known in all the earth. Did you hear that? See, He made the connection in Psalm 67. And the last thing I'll say is this should cause us to pray like crazy. This, this mindset of seeing God's heart, that Christ has come, and He's going to bless all nations, every people group on the earth, every family on earth, He's going to bless them. He's going to, he's going to have a remnant that He justifies by faith on every nation, tribe, and tongue on this earth. And so what should that cause us to do? To pray. We need to pray like crazy. Pray for yourself. When's the last time you prayed that? Blank check. God, wherever you send me, I'll go. Whatever you command me, I'll do. When's the last time you really asked that? I encourage you to pray it for yourself. What's God want you to do? How does He want you to respond to His heart in that? As your heart lines up with His heart, how does God want you to respond to this all nations idea? Pray for our church, that our church will be full of people that cannot get over the glory of Jesus as worshipers of Christ, and therefore we cannot get over reaching it out to every nation, tribe, and tongue, saying, God, do it for your glory. Pray for our church for that. Pray for Wes Brewer, whom God has graciously blessed us and allowed us to be able to support some there in North Korea. Our brother, pray for him that God would do a mighty work in North Korea. 
Pray for Jake and Stacy, whom God is moving in that direction again and again and again. They keep getting led that this is the direction God has taken them. Pray for them. Move in the direction of North Korea. Pray for the Tisberries sitting in Bolivia, learning the language, wanting to, wanting to see Bolivians all over the place, worshiping Jesus Christ. Pray for them. Ask God to help them. Pray for Joe and Laurel who are gone right now knowing what do we need to do in Peru long term? What needs to happen here? Pray and ask God to do a mighty work for them while they're there and in their future. Pray for the Gordons who are thinking about the same thing in Peru. Pray for the Chavezes. However you say that. Pray for the Chavezes as they think through, or the future Chavezes at least. As they think through this. Pray for the Staffords and the Starkeys and the Brogans. They think about India. Pray, pray for Moses, our connection that we have there in Moses in India. In this trip we're about to take in January, as me and Nick Starkey go and try to glorify God in that praise, place and bring praise to Jesus in that place. Pray for that trip and pray for the long-term effects of it. Pray for these things. Pray for Blake and Dustin in February headed to the UAE. Uh, uh, to try to make some kind of connection, an inroad for us and the Muslim peoples on this earth. Pray for what they're going to do there. Pray that God would use these things. Pray for Hannah, who's thinking through these kind of things for her own life. She's thinking, Hannah Esquivel, thinking about these things about the glory of God among the nations and how she fits into being a missionary there. And so what you see in me saying and telling you to pray for those things is God is at work. He's at work here. Are you a part of it? Are you hooked into that? Are you connected to the work that God is doing in this place. Are you praying for massive things? To the God that said, I can do more than you ever asked or think. More than you've ever asked, more, more than you're able, able to ask or able to think, I can do more. You praying huge things for that God? To that God? And there's many other people, I'm not even mentioning all the people who have mentioned things that God's leading them into that has an effect on all nations type stuff. So I encourage you to pray for this church. Okay? Let's pray now. <clears throat> Father, thank You for letting us open Your Word. Thank You that the promise was fulfilled in Christ. Thank You for blessing the people who were cursed. <laughs> God, we know that uh, at least at one time or, or another, We've all felt the weight of that, God, that we deserve nothing but curse, nothing but eternal destruction. You've reached forward and blessed. You came in the flesh and died in our place. Thank You, Lord. God, You're so gracious. Thank You, Lord, for blessing rebels. God, I pray for this church that You would cause us to worship You continually and never get over this salvation that You've wrought in us, Lord. God, it sounds silly that we would even be able to get over it somehow and become numb to it. It sounds so silly, but God, I know the power of our sin that blinds us and blocks us. And, and God, I just pray that You would deal with it. God, deal with the sin and make us a people that obsessed with what You've wrought at the cross when You died for our sins. And God, make us a people obsessed with getting this news out to the nations, Lord. God, I praise You. This is not our home. I praise You, God, that we can be so aggressive and, and go after things, Lord, that the, that the world would think is crazy. It's uncomfortable to our flesh. And we can do that because this is not our home. 
Thank you so much, God, for going and preparing a place for us. God, that's what we long for, the city that you build. Love you, Lord. Thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.